I'm going in for a meatball and I'll have a beer. This is Tall Can Audio. <laughs> What's happening, everybody? Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast, coming to you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Make sure you're following along on any number of the ever-increasing options of social media at Tall Can Audio. I don't know if you're Blue Sky people or Threads people. Search at Tall Can Audio. We're probably there. Uh, Happy to be welcoming back into the studio for the first time in a couple of months now. AJ Jackiebeck's here. What's happening, man? Ah, oh, great to be with you. As always, I've uh, already broken the rule. I already uh, <laughs> cracked my can before uh, before you got a chance. But uh, a nice uh, honey brown ale from Halliburton Highlands Brewing that uh, I'll be sipping country. on here nicely as we chat. Yeah, so. um, yeah. It's uh, I've only been into that brewery once, but they've made some some nice stuff over there. You've had a pull or two on it. Are you getting any honey from it at all? Any of that flavor? Or yeah, maybe a little. Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. a little bit. It's good. Yeah. I got no complaints. It's a beer. Okay. I'm happy. Happy other than that hat you're wearing. I know you got a beef with the Jays and, uh, frankly, I kind of got a beef with the Jays right now after the, uh, the trade deadline that they had, but I don't know. They, they brought in a flamethrowing closer. Maybe that's, maybe I'm being too picky, right? Or, or demanding a little too much. I got one here from the uh, Whitewater Brewing Company, a little bit west of town here. Uh, this is the North meets South Pale Ale, I've been looking at this one in the fridge for a while, haven't quite gotten to it, so uh, yeah, that's going to be tonight's go-to. How you been, man? It's been in a little while since you've been in here. I did see you over, uh, you were good enough to drop by, have a pint with me there on uh, Big four o four o festivities, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> All's well, all's yeah. well, no complaints. Uh, my busiest time of year is probably just past because for a couple of months, Doing the show and then calling three different teams. Yeah. Basketball, football, and soccer is a little bit busy, but while they still have at least one home game and potentially a couple of games after that, CBL championship weekend, my blackjack season is over. They're going to play on Sunday at TD Place against either Brampton or Scarborough. Right. And winner of that goes to championship weekend, but I will be in Regina calling. Hmm. Ottawa Red Blacks football against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So now I can focus on football and soccer and the show on TSN 1200, the drive, and yeah, kind of uh, past the busiest part of my season. So <laughs> nice day to enjoy beer, that's for sure. Well, I appreciate you coming in, and uh, you know we we don't have to spend a whole bunch of time on this, but I'd re- be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about the changes around 1200. How are you adjusting to you know a new co-host now? The your shift has been I don't know, shortened. They're running that syndicated thing out of out of Toronto. What are the vibes like around 1200 these days? Yeah, I mean, I can only speak for me personally. And, uh, you know, obviously difficult when you lose a couple of uh, great colleagues in Sean Simpson and Lee Versage. And um, Lee, I mean, was, was my co-host for the last couple of years. And we go back a long ways, 20 years, because when I started at Team 1200 in 2003, I mean, Lee was there and Steve Lloyd and John Rodenberg and Matt Hamer. So there's a few of us still there from my beginning. Yeah. And I know JR and Steve were there from the beginning of when it was Ottawa Sports Radio. So yeah, it's always difficult uh, personally when you deal with 
changes like that. In the meantime, professionally, I mean, I love what I do. I'm happy to to be at TSN 1200, happy to be able to do what, what I do. And things are always changing. Things are going to change in the future. We know that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a difficult part of the business. But the one thing I tell people that are getting into the business, I never discourage them because as long as people are interested in sports and people are still very interested in oh, sports yeah. around the world and certainly locally, then there's going to be room for people to talk about sto- sports. So it just might change in terms of where you're listening to it method, and, yeah. and who's hiring those people. And there's going to be changes. There's, there's no doubt. There's been changes since I started in the industry in 1997 And there's going to be changes when I finish in this industry, whenever that happens. In the meantime, happy to be uh, employed, happy to be a part of TSN 1200, happy to uh, keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. And the show goes on. So it's, uh, you know, always mixed emotions for sure. And uh, certainly uh, I I know both Lee and Sean are going to do really good things going forward, whether they're involved in hockey, in media in something else it's it's hard to say and the the one thing i've been through that before myself most recently in 2010 and when something happens like that it, it sucks it's a roller coaster you feel good about the fact that people reach out to you and you feel valued in what you do but you're going to experience a bit of a roller coaster and i felt that uh, as well so um you know you, you feel for them going through that but that also means opportunity. When one door closes, another opens, and and opportunities that maybe wouldn't be there for you in in that time can spring open. And, and in some cases, it ends up being the best thing that ever happened to you. Me coming back to Ottawa after I was let go in Edmonton because I was let go in 2010. The people that had hired me had all left, and uh, the new people came in and wanted me to either take a pay cut or work double the amount of time for the same amount of money. And I said, well, happy to, I'm happy to work double amount of time. And it didn't have to be double the amount of time for double money, but I wasn't going to be a bump. Yeah. I wasn't going to work double the amount of time for the same amount of right. money. So <laughs> you stand your ground. And anyways, here I am 13 <laughs> years later and things worked out well for me. So I, I'm sure they'll work out well for them. They're both really good at what they do. And uh, have a lot of great connections uh, in Ottawa and outside Ottawa as well. So, um, you know, wishing them all the best, and I'll be following uh, on their progress uh, to what whatever the next chapter might be. So, as you know, Lee was in here not long after he was let go to, you know, tell his side of the story and just talk to the the good listener. And he and I both heard from lots of people afterward. You being amongst them. And I think your uh, your reply was the funniest. Ninety minutes. You need a, a part two. There's got to be a second. Well, that, I listened to the entire thing. Yeah, and I did take umbrage of one detail. He was it. ninety plus percent accurate on his take of the events in yeah. terms of how he dealt with me. But I'll say it again. I said it to him. I said it to you. I yeah. did not laugh. So for people who this, may have missed it, Lee, all Lee said was that when he first called you. He sort of, I've been let go. And his version of the story was that you kind of went, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, get in here. We got shit to do, basically. Kind of laughed it off. And your version of the story is that there was no laughter. No, no, I mean, because I already knew there were changes in Edmonton. I already knew yeah. there was a change involving Sean, Sean Simpson. Sean had already tweeted out and his so, news. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of disbelief, but there was no laughing. There was no not no. believing it. So, But I, I took some umbrage with your text, right? Because that first show with Lee was about 90 minutes long. I mean, it ended up being all about him and his experience and being let go and everything. We didn't get into anything else in terms of sports or whatever. So we said, well, we'll just do another one. And that's when you texted and said, 90 minutes, you still, you need a part two. And I thought... You're the last person in the world. I am the last person, but that's why I sent that in. That's exactly why I sent that in, because (laughs) me of all people could make fun of that. Right. Of course. Better than anybody else, because Uh. yes, I do tend to go on about things. So uh, I didn't listen to part two. That was, I fun. knew it was going to be about the Blue Jays and wrestling. There I'm was sure, a lot of wrestling. I'm in sure there, there yeah. was some great talk in oh, there. Yeah, yeah. But when, when I heard Blue Jays and wrestling and I'd already put in 90 minutes, I said, okay, <laughs> that's for other people to listen to. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be great, but. I'm not afraid to let the good listener know the list, the downloads for part two were lower than the downloads for part one. A lot of people wanted to hear Lee give his side of the story, everything that had gone on. Not as many people wanted to hear us talk about his trip to Toronto for Forbidden Door and uh, AEW wrestling. So not afraid to put that out into the One universe. day we'll do a show together, Lee and I. That'll be great. About yeah. just our our travel stories together <laughs> because that would be that would be an interesting one from I mean and and they go back. I mean there's there's 2005 to the Memorial Cup. There's uh, we, we did the 2011, 12, 13, and 14 drafts together in the NHL. We did OHL road trips together. We did uh, rookie tournaments together in right. Oshawa and in London. And so Going there's a lot of travel time between him and I. And yeah. well, He told not- one or two on the show about you coming back middle of the night eating chips in his ear or something. I can't even remember now. What the hell? <laughs> well, I was generally the guy, and look, everything changes, yeah. especially for me health-wise, sure. um, but I was probably the guy that had more fun on the road, <laughs> and he would probably admit to that. Yeah. Like, it would be very rare if he came home to me in bed right. rather than the other way around, right. especially, at, like, there, there was the draft in New York... For whatever reason, I decided I was just going to walk New York. I, I'm a guy that loves to walk. When yeah. I when I get to a city, I, to me, that's the best way to see it. But you put in a lot of miles. And and I walked a large portion of Manhattan. And I like walking it during the day, but I also like walking it at night just to see what Manhattan, it looks like. Manhattan, you got to know the right turns. Yeah, night, no, it was fine. It's all good. <laughs> and so that was a morning where I probably walked – for four hours, just looking around, I'd stop in the odd place. Oh, this place serves meatballs. All right, I'm going in for a meatball and all the beer. And and I probably got back at about 5, 5.30 in the morning and might have thrown some Pringles at him. <laughs> I didn't say it was right. I didn't say it was smart. <laughs> I just, <laughs> anyways, yeah. he, uh, he would have some beefs for sure. <laughs> Well, Legitimate you know what? Beefs? I'm happy to offer up this show as a place to host those uh, those old road stories. Uh, but a lot of a lot of good fun memories. One of one of my favorites, and we've talked about this on the air, is there was a trip in Owen Sound. So this would have been this would have been the last time there was a bloody Olympic Games and NHL players there. 2014. Wow. So 2014, middle of a long season with the Ottawa 67s. They had two terrible seasons in a row from 2012 to 2014. So this is kind of tail this is february of of 2014 and they're trending they'd been last the year before they're trending to miss the playoffs again which they did <laughs> and we're on the road and 
we're in London and there happens to be a bed and a cot, but he's got friends in Kitchener. So he was going to be in and out and he said, okay, you know what? Hands up. I'll take the cot. Right. Because I'm not going to be here all the time. Sure. And so he wasn't. He, I think he probably spent one night on the cot, but he did spend at least one night on the cot. So I was like, okay, I know if this happens again, guess whose turn it is to be on the cot. So <laughs> it was one of those trips. It was a, it's a Friday night in Ottawa. These are, these are the trips that made me quit doing 67s <laughs> games because people ask me about the Western Hockey League. And how the travel was. I love the travel in the Western Hockey League. You'd go away, you'd pack up, you'd be gone for 10 days, and you'd do all of BC. Or you'd do all of the United States, right. which was Washington State and Portland. Yeah. Or you'd do all of Saskatchewan and Manitoba. So you'd be gone 10 days, you'd call six games, but you'd get a couple of nights just to do your thing and go out and have dinners and... It was good, and and you you bonded with everybody on the road, and I, I love those times. And yeah, there was a lot of time on the bus. Yeah, but I I could find things to do on the bus. But the the trips that I really hated in the OHL, and I tell people in the Western League because they kind of look their nose down on sure. on the OHL. Oh, you guys don't know what travel is. <laughs> and and I would tell them, okay, you know what? I've seen the actual numbers, and I think. Edmonton was always bottom four in terms of the worst with Brandon, Prince George, and Kootenay when they were in the league, when they were in Cranbrook. Right. In terms of travel, because it was an outlier. Yeah. It, it was Red Deer that was a couple of hours away and everything else. Calgary was, you know, three, three and a half. And everything else was five plus. So at the time, if Brandon's in there, there isn't Winnipeg at that point. There right? wasn't Winnipeg. Right. So you would do, if you did Brandon, yeah. you were generally doing at least a three, if not a six game road trip. So sometimes you'd do six and you'd do in whatever order, Saskatoon, Prince Albert, Swift Current, Moose Jaw, Regina, and Brandon. Yeah. And I loved those trips. Sometimes you would do three and three, which were... A little bit tougher, but let's say you did Moose Jaw on a Friday and Regina on a Saturday and Brandon on a Sunday and then bus home. That, that was a little bit much, yeah. but but you'd do it and it was okay. Um, but yeah, it was an outlier and you traveled more than pretty much any place else If you're in, in Edmonton, the country. how often so, do you have to go to Brandon? Is it just once uh, twi- a year? Twice a year. Twice a year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but I didn't mind that. Right. Now... Ottawa's still less travel than, say, the Swift Current. That's a bit of a hub and in the middle of a lot of different places. So Ottawa's got more travel, or sorry, less travel than them, but there would be it would be closer to Swift Current than Swift Current is to Edmonton, for example, in terms of miles on the bus. Right. The difference is the amount of midweek games. And again, I like the 10-day trips where you'd go for 10 days and you'd call six games. And they'd play six games because he'd have some time. But if you do a Friday night in Ottawa, a Saturday night in Barrie, and a Sunday afternoon in Owen Sound, and then come home, it's awful. That's rough. Literally all you're doing, and for the players, all they're doing is on the bus, eating, sleeping, playing hockey. Yeah. And so I... It's a big province, eh? That's one of the things people well, don't and, always appreciate and is... Just because you look at Google Maps and it tells you how far it is from here to Guelph you might add two hours right? depending on Toronto traffic, even sure. if everything's working on the 407 and you decide to take it. So, um, but this was a trip 
uh, late 2014. It was March of 2014 because it was after that trip to London where I remember watching the gold medal game, Canada against Sweden, in 2014. That's why that came up. So probably a week or two after, we're on the road, and it was one of those trips, Friday at home, Saturday in Barrie. And now... You're on the bus Sunday or, you know, well, Saturday night, maybe even Sunday morning into Owen Sound. There's a snowstorm. We get in. It's like 1230 in the morning. And sure enough, we get in the hotel. And and look, there's no Westons or Hyatts in, in Owen Sound. <laughs> I can tell you that. And you get in, you open the door, and there's one bed. Oh, no. And there's a cot, and it's not the yeah, nicest. No. This is not the cot we had in Delta at the Delta in London. And I know it's my turn, <laughs> so I'm at my rate. Yeah. I am just furious, <laughs> and I know the season's going down the tubes and the sixty. And, and I'm like Lee, I didn't plan on going for a beer, but we're going for beers because I was just fuming because I knew I was sleeping on that damn cot and I needed a couple of beers before I was sleeping on that cot. Yeah. So sure enough, we got to the bar at Owen Sound and we had a good time, um, got back and all was well, but just moments like that where <laughs> you'd see the frustration and he'd see the frustration on me and yeah. uh, anyways, good times. We had, we had a lot of uh, great trips together and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure we'll do one in the future no going doubt. forward, but uh, yeah, we... There's so many different ones. There's one in New Jersey that we get in and there's one bed. And as soon as it was like the, I don't know, I didn't even watch the Simpsons, but that Simpson meme of like in the room and out the room or whatever, as if like opening the door and it's in and out as quickly as possible. That was me. Because as soon as I saw that bed, I was right out down the stairs and like, you better get us another bed. We we need another room and another bed because we're not doing cot. We're not doing... (laughs) Not doing a single bed here, and sure enough, we did get another room, and all was well. But uh, yeah, so some good memories and some funny memories, and uh, uh, a lot to laugh about when you think about uh, those days for sure. Hundred percent. And I can tell the good listener here that uh, I've been trading a couple texts with Lee. He will be back in sooner than you think to be back on uh, on TCA. We're going to talk about some things. So stay tuned to Lee Versage uh, for Lee Versage as well around here. I will also direct you back to. Uh, episode 1148 with Michaela Schreider. We we allowed her to mourn on the air a little bit about what had happened to Team Canada at uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup. AJ, I'm curious, because I know you follow the beautiful game a lot closer than I do. You know, when you look at what just happened to that Canadian women's team, how much of it do you think can be tied to the turmoil around soccer in Canada at this point, which has been raining havoc or wreaking havoc on the men's and women's team for a while now. And, um, you know, we just saw the defending Olympic champions go out basically as fast as you can go out in the group stage at the women's world cup. what do you make of it all? And, and how much is tied to what's happening in their, their federation? Yeah. So there's, there's definitely a factor. Uh, you look at the Stanley cup. And you look at the last four winners. It was Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Jeffrey Vinnick, Jeffrey Vinnick, and then Colorado, Stan Kroenke. And then you, you follow that up with Vegas Golden Knights and Bill Foley. Yep. Everything starts at the top. When you've got quality ownership, not just in terms, I mean, you, start, you need deep pockets first and foremost, but someone that knows how to run an organization, 
where there's not going to be chaos or turmoil, uh, where just everything runs seamlessly from ownership to management to uh, coaching staff to players to people selling tickets and and everyone within the organization. Uh, Jurgen Klopp was a guy that he got to know everybody's name at Liverpool, and they experienced success because he had the entire club from ushers to custodians to ticket sellers to trainers to coaches and players and whatever rolling in the same direction. Right. And so right now, not everyone's rolling in the same direction when it comes to Canada soccer, and that's hurting our men's and women's national teams. That being said, all you have to do, there's a lot to this. All you have to do is look at the success of Jamaica, who had to actually do a GoFundMe to get to the Women's World Cup in the first place. You look at Nigeria fighting their federation. And the the fact, you, you can't just hang this as an excuse that, okay, well, how do you expect us to advance because... Right, we're fighting the federation, and we're not getting the support we need. Well, neither is Jamaica, neither was Nigeria. I'm sure there's other nations as well. I don't know the ins and outs of every federation and how they're treating their players, but the reality is, uh, it's a part of it, but it's also an excuse. They didn't perform. They weren't right. good enough. They had one good half. It's not like they had three good halves and and went out. They had one good half. Second half against the Republic of Ireland. They they looked disjointed offensively. They, their defending was comical in the last game against Australia, so they weren't good enough, and they deserved to go out, and they deserved to go out on their own merits. Hmm. Um, so I, I think, and I, I hate saying that because I love Canada and everything, and obviously soccer is a, a sport that I care about a, a lot. So did it factor in? In November with the Canadian men, did it factor in to them, the Canadian men losing to the United States? I don't know. I don't really care. You got to perform better. You're, you're playing for your country. And so look, this, I don't have a, I don't have a solution to the problems because the problems are deep and they're not easy. It's, it's easy to say, pay the players, but you don't have money to pay the players. Right. You don't even have money right now to hold camps and 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 hold friendlies and and then there's there's all sorts of problems and they're going to have to sort these out and sooner rather than later because this is the best opportunity right now for the Canadian men and women to build the sport over the course of the next 4 years. You've got 2024, you've got Copa America, which typically is played in South America. Typically it's played by the South American teams, but the next event is going to be held in the United States. They did it before in 2016, but it's going to be a combined event between the 10 South American nations and six from CONCACAF who will have to qualify in the fall. Right. So Canada's got two chances to qualify. They're into the quarterfinals. Canada, the U.S., Mexico, and Costa Rica are into the quarterfinals. And then they're going to play four teams, which will be determined in the fall, uh, their opponents. If you win home and away, you go there. If you lose, you got a one-game chance against one of the other four losers, and two of those teams are going to advance. So have to get to Copa America. So then you got Copa America. Then you got the Club World Cup, which is expanded to 32 teams, and there's going to be all the biggest clubs in the world, the Real Madrids, the Manchester Cities, 
and, and and from all the different federations, yeah, from yeah. Africa, from Asia, from Oceania, from South America, and yes, from CONCACAF, competing this event, and it's going to be played in the United States in 2025, and there's talk that there might be some games in Canada. So there's that. Then the Men's World Cup, which is the biggest event on the planet, period. Bigger than Super Bowl or Summer Olympics or Winter Olympics or Cricket World Cup or Champions League, this is it. WrestleMania. So, yes, <laughs> WrestleMania and SummerSlam and AEW Monday sure, nights, whatever's yeah. going on there. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to crap on wrestling. I didn't hate I wrestling back in the day. But uh, anyways, this is the biggest event in the world. And so, and it's coming here. And it's coming to Vancouver. And it's coming to Toronto. And Canada's going to be a host. Canada's going to have an easier schedule because they're going to be in pot A with Brazil and Argentina and France and, and the United States and Mexico and those teams. So you're not going to get a group of death in Canada's group because you're going to be getting at, you're a slot at a, best kind of, yeah. the 10th best team. At best, yeah. the 10th best team in the world. You know, outside of Canada, the U.S. and Mexico who get those slots. Then the nine best that qualify. And then after that, you're going to get other teams. So, And then the Women's World Cup is likely to be in the United States. It's not official, but most people think it's coming in 2027. So this is a huge four-year window for the sport in North America and certainly in Canada. Well, that's not even mentioned next year's 2024 Olympics where the women will compete, right? For sure, Uh, for sure. But I'm talking about that. That's in Paris. We're talking about events that are all in North America. And a lot of those games are going to be in Canada as well. So the sport has a chance like never before to grow on the men's side, on the women's side, and people want it. You just watched the Canadian men sweep up the nation's attention, and the Canadian women hooked a bunch of people with an Olympic gold medal, and now we've done nothing but f- talk shit. About well, they got to get their business. shit together. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. They've got to get. But but everyone's going to have to give. Look, the men's players aren't going to get what they want. The women's players aren't going to get what they want. Canada soccer is not going to get what they want, and CSB shouldn't get what they want. And so. Well, they've already got it, so... Well, no, they... I mean, you, you can say that, but, like, it's not like they're they're getting rich. No. Like, look, we need a soccer infra... They did the same thing in the United States, and there's there's merit to what they're doing here, but they have... The current deal clearly doesn't work, because if the men and women don't even have the money to play friendlies or to hold camps, right. then then you lose the momentum, because that is your biggest selling point. Those are your biggest stars in this country. It's not it's not any of the club teams. It's not Toronto FC or right. Vancouver Whitecaps or CF Montreal or whatever women's league comes into play or Atletico Ottawa or the Canadian Premier League. I mean, that, that look, and that needs to happen. We need to have a women's. Like, here's the thing. We need a soccer infrastructure in this country. Yeah. There, there's only two leagues, two of those 32 of, of the teams that went to the Women's World Cup there's only two leagues that don't exist for those countries, and one is Canada. So we need a lot of that money. We need money to go into the infrastructure, men's, women's. We need money to go into paying the players. We need money to go into setting up the national programs. So there's a lot that goes into it. And again, not everyone's going to be happy, but everyone needs to give. We need to find solutions and I think the sponsors need to come in with solutions and say, look, okay, we're Gatorade. We're willing to spend a lot of money here. We're, we're like, we believe in this program. Sure. Yeah. Okay. We're going to spend 10 million, but we want to ensure that 
A million of that goes to the women's players. Yeah. A, mini- a million of that goes to the men's players. Yeah, uh, we want some um, say in how a, this a gets A million of that around. goes into funding funding the women's team and camps. A million goes into funding that men's team's camps. And then the other six million, say three million goes to CPL teams and three million goes to setting up a women's league. And there, there's your 10 million. Right. That That's some of the stuff that needs to happen going forward so that everyone's a little bit happy about, okay, that that's a deal we can live with. And, and look, maybe that number is lower for the men's and the women's players. Maybe they get 500,000 each, but if they know, if I'm a player now, obviously it depends on where I'm playing. Like some of these guys are making yeah. a lot of money. Alfonso Davies would be making big time money at Bayern Munich. Whereas certain guys would be playing on a hundred thousand dollars for, you know, an MLS team. So sure. if all of a sudden you get an extra hundred grand versus 50 grand playing for Canada, that makes a big difference. Whereas for an Alfonso Davies, it probably doesn't matter. But if you knew, okay, you know what? Even if you're one of those players and you're getting 150 instead of 200, and you knew that at least the rest of that money is going to soccer infrastructure and setting up things for your men's national team so that, yeah, you can fly in comfort when you go from Europe to Canada to South America and back that you can, you know, stay in decent hotels so that you can play better friendlies, all that sort of thing. Then I think you can at least realize that. But if you believe in the back of your mind, and I don't know if it's happening, but if you believe in the back of your mind that this is money that's going to Canada soccer and executives to get a brand new suit every year, then all of a sudden you're probably saying, well, I don't know if I really buy into this. So that that's that's where the problems lie. But back to the women's team, look, there, there's there's other things at play here. And and we're seeing it with the United States. The US has been the major power for two decades when it comes to women's soccer. Two decades plus, essentially yep. 25 years. 1999, they won the Women's World Cup and Mia Hamm and Brandy Chastain with the memorable moment sure, taken yeah. off her shirt and the sports bra and all that kind of stuff and the penalties against China. So they've dominated for 25 years, Olympics and women's world cup. You see them in this tournament and they look, they don't look the same better than average, but, but here's Beatable. one of the, here's one of the things that, that we're seeing now. Canada has long dominated. Oh, sorry. North American teams have long been amongst the dominant teams, the Americans being the dominant team, but Canada has been right there, especially the better part of the last decade. We've created all these great athletes and that, that have been physical and faster and, 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 and that's a big part of the modern game, mm-hmm. but the technical part of the game is still a big part of the game. And, and what you're seeing is even the United States Because the infrastructure, back to that soccer infrastructure, which really is only in its infancy here and needs to be better. The soccer infrastructure is in place in these European countries. And now all of a sudden, the ones that are taking it seriously, because Canada and the U.S. have been taking this seriously for a long time on the women's side. A lot of the European nations and certainly around the world haven't. But now that they are taking this a lot more seriously, they are developing better, more technical players that have more skills. And we're seeing that not just with Canada, but we're seeing it with the United States where you can't just win based on your physical talents alone. You need technical talents 
as well. And and that's where I think this is such an important crossroads for North American soccer to build that infrastructure so that we can find a way to be, I don't think Canada or the U.S. is ever going to be on par with, say, the biggest clubs in Europe, for example, but we're seeing major growth in the sport. We're seeing major growth in Major League Soccer right now. With We've seen major, and it's not just Lionel Messi. This has happened since 2007, and maybe this, you know, you can't really judge until he leaves the league, but maybe this takes the league to an even different stratosphere. Not saying that it's going to compare with the top leagues in Europe, no. but maybe maybe it's uh, the sixth or seventh biggest league in the world instead of the 11th or 12th, where it is right now. So there's there's a lot that goes into the disappointment that we saw from the United States. They haven't lost yet, but it feels like it's inevitable in this tournament. Yeah. I might be proven wrong on that. Sure. Um, but with Canada as well, like this is, I'm not convinced that if all was hunky-dory and they were getting everything they wanted and they came in in great spirits and full camps and friendlies and everything. And, and one of those friendlies was, was Bev Priestman's idea as well. She didn't want the home friendly. She wanted to get to Australia as quick as possible. So, and I get that, right? Yeah, so like, sure. you can't just blame. So some of it's on the coaches, some of it's on soccer Canada for sure. But then some of it's on the players. Look, when they won gold at the Olympics, it was well-deserved, mm-hmm. but they didn't score a goal in open play in the quarterfinals, the semis or the final. Right. So you add to that, that Christine Sinclair has not been getting any younger. You add to that, that Janine Becky is probably our most creative, is our most creative attacking player right now, was not available due to injury. I wondered it when this tournament started, where are the goals going to come from? And in the end, they didn't look dangerous in attack. They scored two goals throughout the entire tournament. Maybe things are a little bit different if they if they score against Nigeria on that penalty, just like maybe things were different if Alfonso Davies yep. scores against Belgium. But in the end, they didn't score, and they didn't get it done, and they didn't deserve to go through. So uh, we regroup and try to find ways to get better as a soccer country uh, with one of the most important times. Like We're never going to have an opportunity like this where so much is happening on North American soil over the course of the next four years. We have to get our shit together. We have to get this figured out. Well, and the Shrides mentioned here, the next opportunity is literally a month away. Like in September, it's Canada, Jamaica in Toronto to qualify for the Olympic Games. Like for the women, like it, they have to get this done and, and not under the best of circumstances, but they got to regroup. They got to find a way to score against a Jamaican team that seems to be on the come here a little bit, right? Has That's some, some momentum. So your defending Olympic champions are going to punch their ticket or not in a month. And yeah, well, that would be a huge blow. Time. This is, this is an, a crucial time. I think they could really make a statement by beating Jamaica yeah. and say, look, this was a blip on the radar. We had a bad World Cup, but we're still here. And I think it would be a real statement if they beat Jamaica, given the fact that they're already through to the last 16. Yep. And it's the same for Canada on the men's side. Canada should get through to the Copa America, mm-hmm. but... They still have to get it done. They're probably going to have to play a team like Panama or Jamaica home and away. It's not going to be easy. And if they get it done, it's like, okay, then it'll be a collective sigh of relief. I think for fans of the women's team and the men's team and just Canada soccer in general. And then we can look forward to next summer as another litmus test against the world. 
hopefully, <laughs> with the women playing against the top teams in the world at the Olympics if they get there, and the men playing against, you know, not just the United States and Mexico, but Argentina with Lionel Messi, Brazil with Neymar and their star players, Colombia and Peru and Chile and Paraguay and Ecuador. Sure. And yeah. so, like, it would Some be a dogs. huge yeah. opportunity. They're not going to get a better chance to play in a major tournament against high-level competition between now and 2026. There's no qualifying for 2026. They're already in. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah you, the fall is going to be huge for the men's and women's teams because then it gives you a, a big opportunity in 2024 and then hopefully, again, big opportunities in 2026 and 2027, and hopefully we can start to look ahead. But, again, some of the turmoil, I, I, I'm not expecting everybody to be happy, but they need to find solutions here. And, and, and again, I think even if they're interim solutions where all new money coming in, a certain amount goes to the players, a certain amount goes to soccer infrastructure, and a certain amount goes to funding the men's and women's team on their own. Mm -hmm. I think if you had something like that in place, at least it would make everybody feel a little bit better that, okay, this money's coming in and it's not going into a black hole. Right. Uh, Well... Teed me up pretty well there. I think at the beginning of this year's CFL season, a lot of Red Blacks fans were feeling like maybe they were falling into a little bit of a black hole. There had been injury issues uh, once again at quarterback. We didn't know when Masoli was going to get in there. When he did, he gets hurt again. Uh, Tyree Adams goes down. Nick Arbuckle goes down. Wasn't really working out there anyway. And you end up with this guy, Dustin Crum, who many of us didn't know a whole lot about. And even in his first appearance where they end up coming up short, he shows himself to be an incredibly exciting player to watch. And they go on, they manage to grab a couple of victories here. Uh, The most recent time we saw them is, of course, in a loss. I got to be honest with you, AJ, I'm having a really hard time pinning down what this Red Blacks team is and whether they're any good or not. Some of that is because quarterback play is such a big part of the league that when that's in shambles, it's hard to see what everything else is, how it all fits together. But they've had injuries. They're just getting... Uh, Shaq Evans is back last week. You know, the Devontae Dedman goes down early in the season. Are you any closer to figuring out whether this team's any good or not? <laughs> uh, I'll be closer after the weekend, I okay. think, in Regina. Because here's what I think. I think you've got three tiers of teams. You've got BC, Winnipeg, and Toronto as the class of the league. I think you can grab a pen and a paper and in pen, write those teams down Mm -hmm. and say, these are going to be playoff teams. Uh, I think you can put in tier three, one team. Uh, It's not hard to figure out who that team is. No, it's not. The Edmonton Elks have lost 21 straight home games. They've lost all eight of their regular season games this year. They've been shut out twice. They just fired, they've just fired their offensive coordinator. And look, I I don't know if they're going to go 0-18. Maybe they win two or three or four games. Maybe they win one game like Hamilton did, uh, the only 1-17 team in CFL history. Maybe they're the first 0-18 team in CFL history. We'll wait and see. But they're bad. They're not making the playoffs. Right. So that that leaves five for three spots. And it's Ottawa, Hamilton, Montreal, uh, Saskatchewan, and Hamilton. Now, things can turn on a dime based on injuries. Ask Ottawa and Saskatchewan and Hamilton with their quarterback situation. So... Uh, four of those teams have three wins. Calgary's got two wins, and Calgary's next three games are against Toronto, BC, and Winnipeg. That being said, Oof. I still think Calgary's going to make the playoffs. Okay. 
just because I think and, and Jake Mayer's thrown more interceptions than anyone in the league. He's thrown eleven. But I think they're gonna win enough games in the second half of the season uh to make up for the fact I, I don't like going two and eight, but I think they'll find a way to win one in the next three weeks, go three and seven and then find a way to get to seven or eight wins and make the playoffs. So that leaves these other four four teams. And and again, it's five teams for three spots, and Calgary might very well miss. But yeah. those four teams are playing each other this week. And my gut feel tells me, and we had Farhan Lalji on the program earlier this week on TSN 1200 on the Red Blacks radio show, and I wanted to ask him about his tiers because he had three tiers of three, three, and three, but he had in the bottom tier... Hamilton and Saskatchewan. And I think part of that is the quarterback situation with right. both Levi Mitchell and Matthew Schiltz both hurt for Hamilton and Trevor Harris hurt in Saskatchewan. And just unlike Ottawa, where, okay, you've seen some ups and downs, at least you've seen the best of Dustin Crumb so far. Mm-hmm. And you've seen that it factor and him leading the team to a couple of victories. Well, you haven't seen that with Taylor Powell and Hamilton. You haven't seen that with Mason Fine or even Jake Dolagala in Saskatchewan. So I hope this isn't the week that we see it for Saskatchewan and, and quite frankly, even for Hamilton. I'd like to see uh, Montreal beat Hamilton for Ottawa's sake. Yeah. Um, and, and then feel good about the fact that, okay, I, I feel like if Ottawa goes in to Toronto, which is going to be a tough game, no doubt about it. But if they go in at four and four with the schedule they have in the second half of the season, I won't call it an easy schedule, but I, I'll call it a lot of teams. In that group, you got three left against Montreal. You got a home game against Montreal. You're going to have a home game against Saskatchewan, and you still have one more visit to Edmonton to play the Elks. So I feel like there's a decent chance if they win this game and lose to Toronto. So let's say they end up four and five. I feel like there's a decent chance that they're going to win four more games in the second half and finish eight and ten. And to me, eight and ten in this year's CFL is going to make you the playoffs. So. Yeah, I don't have an answer for you. The, yeah. I think special teams have been a little more inconsistent this year, but I still think it's pretty good for Ottawa. Defense is really good. They've yeah. given up some big plays. They've lost some key guys in the secondary, which has definitely hurt and resulted in that. But I feel like this defense, the front is so good. This is easy. I'm not. This isn't their best defense ever because 2015 is their best defense ever, and maybe it ends up being their best defense ever by the end of the year. But right now, I can't say that. To me, they'd have to win a lot of games down the stretch to be the best defense ever uh, in Red Blacks history. This is definitely their best front, though. And that that group is scary good. Uh, Just the pressure. They're able to stop the run. They're able to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, They're playmakers. And they set a lot of things up for the back end where they've got some playmakers as well. So, well, everything that keeps happening, right? Those two sort of miracle victories, whatever you want to come back, the one that fell just short this week, all of it's because the defense is letting you hang around and stay that close, right? Letting you well, stay within reach. I wouldn't say the Calgary game. Wow, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. No, the Calgary <laughs> well, game, right, the offense enough. picked up the defense for sure. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, the Winnipeg game, they hung around, hung around. And look, they have to play complimentary football. They talk about that all the time, but it, it's true. And, and to me, at the very least, what the offense has to do is move the sticks and not turn the ball over. Yeah. Even if, like, if you start, so let's say you start on your 40 and you get two first downs, 11 yards each. So you get to the 51 
and then you get to the 49. And you're too deep for Lewis Ward field goal. So then you punt. And let's say they start 40-yard net. Let's make it even 35 because you're trying to pin them deep. So they start on their 14. Mm -hmm. They get two first downs to the 35. Then they're punting. Then you get the ball back to the 45. Yep. Then you get a couple of first downs. Well, now you're in field goal range, right? So it's it's all about what you do and, and just those little victories. So if you get 40 yards net and they get 32 yards net, you've just gained yourself eight yards. If you sure. get one more first down than they did, you just gained another 10 yards. And if you flipped 20 yards of the field, then as long as you don't turn the ball over, you're going to win football games. Right. I don't know if... Look, they've had some wild, entertaining victories. Those two back-to-back because yep. they're as exciting as it's going to get in Red Blacks history and in the CFL. Uh, so it's not going to be like that every week. They can win games 16-12, to 19-12. They can't if they don't turn the ball over and, and just move the chains and play kind of boring football. Are you worried so, about thus far how... I- We've seen a lot of Crum using his legs and, you know, has he shown you enough with his arm yet that other teams have to respect it or are they going to keep just, you know, at some point you just stop allowing him to use his legs to to run and you force him to throw the ball and at some point he's going to have to show you that he can do that consistently. Well, he did it against Calgary, so there's that. Okay. Uh, Yeah, they had a spy on him and with with Cameron Judge and it, it... forced a change in, in how they needed to play and they adjusted and from late third quarter and the fourth quarter and overtime they adjusted and and I thought he was sensational. Now Hamilton threw some new wrinkles yeah. at him last week and, and that's the thing. When you've got a young quarterback there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be weeks like last week where it doesn't go their way and it doesn't go his way. So I, I think it's hard. That, eh? that, that's going to be something that to keep it in perspective that this guy was never supposed to be starting games this year, right? No, and, and but, now we're here, and so... But we're here, yeah. and and I think there's potential, and, and you have to deal with some ups and downs with a young quarterback. But again, the good news is, because the defense is so good, they're going to have chances to win games. I don't think... I'm not betting on this team being a Grey Cup team this right. year. Toronto's really good. Yeah. But things can change. Hamilton looked really good in 2015. Zach Claros went down and all of a sudden Ottawa had a better second half, won the East and ended up narrowly uh, losing out in the Grey Cup game. Look, I don't think this team's going to win the Grey Cup this year and I'd be very surprised if they got there, but it feels like the playoffs are a realistic possibility. I think part of that's dependent on how quickly Bolivar Mitchell and Matt Schultz get back in Hamilton and how they fare in the meantime. Um, but part of that is just going to be on them to go out and, and find a way to get to eight wins gets you in. Seven wins might get you in, mm-hmm. um, but eight wins gets you in. So can they find a way to win four or five more games? I think they can with the schedule, but they're going to have to they're going to have to play some pretty good football. And, and it starts this week in Regina because this to me last week I, I would have felt a lot better this week going into Regina with this team three wins in a row at four and three, still still in the mix to win the tiebreaker against Hamilton. But now you lost the tiebreaker to Hamilton. 
So now you know, okay, if you're close, well, they've got that extra half game. This game, two, three, and four teams, and Saskatchewan doesn't really probably have that belief. They, they, they might say they have the belief, but it's one thing. It's I've heard three years of Red Blacks teams say they have the belief, but it's different saying it than actually going out and winning and then, okay, affirming that you have the belief. Right. And, and to me, that's huge. And that's why this game this week is so big because not only is it about playoff positioning and getting yourself to 500 and pushing back Saskatchewan a notch, but it's also about making the Rough Riders question themselves, question that they keep, can they win with this group for a little bit longer? Because even if it it goes through to, to week 13 or so, that might be long enough to keep them out of the race. They're going to have two yeah. games over Labor Day against Winnipeg, and, and, and so those are going to be tough games for them. So, yeah, th- this is a massive football game this week for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Are you surprised? And I guess, you know, I had uh, our buddy Steve Bunda on here a couple days ago, and we were talking a little Red Blacks as well. And... I asked him the same thing I'm going to ask you. Are you surprised how often Crum's getting hit? And Bunda's answer was, I'm not sure I'd put that on the offensive line as much as I can keep in mind that it's a young quarterback who's maybe taking an extra split second yeah. to make his reads or his decisions. Do you see it the same way? or? Yeah, so... And sorry, I one of the things I meant to get to in the last question was about <laughs> Crum taking the hits. Because you're right, I, I think... There's a certain amount of sustainability in terms of, okay, he's he's obviously done this before. Like, it's not like he just came here and started running. Like, right, no. This is what he's done his whole life, you know, at Ohio. And, and, and so, look, I, I, I don't think you want to take, I don't, want, I don't think you want to put training wheels on with Dustin Crum. Look, there's, there's going to be times, Especially in the second half, there were times where he was taken off where he had an open receiver and he didn't see him and he was taken off. And that that needs to improve, for sure. But yeah. he's still going to have to take off. That's To be a dual threat... That's part of his game. That's it's, it's the duel. Yep. Now, I think that's what made him so dangerous against Calgary is because he truly was dual threat. He was more of a run threat against Winnipeg, but against Calgary, he was definitely dual. Last week... I think he was taking off too early. It's okay to kind of trust your instincts and say, I don't see anything, but that split second longer to find a receiver before taking off is important. Look, he he took a couple of licks for sure. Uh, Some of that is on him. Some of that is on the offensive line. Some of that is just a product of when you are going to be a dual threat quarterback that you're going to take some hits. That's the reality. So there's a little bit of all of it. I think he's going to take hits every week, but he can't take as many as he took against Hamilton every week. Otherwise, yeah, you start to get a little bit concerned. Well, especially you're already down to your fourth stringer. Like, yeah, you got to keep this guy on his feet a little bit. It gets dangerous, right? He's, he's young. And even when he is looking to make that pass, maybe he's taking a half second longer just to make sure, and that's the one that gets you hit. So. He's a smarter guy than me. He's uh, a rocket scientist. Aeronautical engineering is what he took at Kent State. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think he's processed things pretty quick so far, and he's going to learn. There, there's going to be things that he definitely learned from. That's why I'm curious to see week to week how he looks after that Hamilton game and how he adjusts and what Saskatchewan throws at him. Yep. We'll see. It's 
Uh, last thing before I get you out of here then, AJ, I want to ask you just sort of in a general sense, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the Sens, the offseason that they've had. Everything was sort of held up a little bit at the beginning by the ownership process working its way through. Fans were sort of focused on that, waiting for that to play out. But uh, now we've seen the draft, we've seen free agency. Most recently, it's Tarasenko coming in, but Corpus Allo gets the big deal as well. Uh, I don't know, what do you think of the Sens? Or, you know, I think everybody's sort of waiting for them f- for them to take this big step forward into the playoffs. They did take a step forward last year, but they had some injury. You know, you wonder Josh Norris back for a full season. Is this, how how improved do you think the Sens are this summer? I think they're improved. I think they're, I'm picking them to make the playoffs. Yeah. Did I that happen after Bergeron announced his retirement? Because I think that changed a lot of people's perspective. So on I, I'm not fully there on Boston until I find out what's happening with uh, Krejci. Yeah, fair if enough. If Krejci isn't back, then I'm going to pick them to miss. Yeah. Now I've picked them to miss I, the last thing. couple of years. So I thought last year was the year they take a step back. Instead, they become the 77 halves or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> yeah. What the hell well, regular know? season at least. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I'm familiar with that phenomenon, AJ. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Uh, I think one thing that's going to really help, and again, goes back to our Canada soccer talk. Everything I've heard about Michael Ann Lauer is... There's not going to be any chaos in the organization. So here's the thing. When it comes to Pierre Dorian, I've known Pierre for almost 20 years. And I don't know if it's the remnants of Eugene Melnick or what, but there's just been too much chaos even post Eugene Melnick. I wasn't right. going to judge him on any of that stuff when Eugene Melnick was there. Yeah, when he was in because a tough spot. Yeah. It was a difficult <clears throat> spot to be. But since Eugene Melnick has passed away, there have been four different members of the organization leave. Right. High up in the organization, yep. in Pierre Maguire. Well, and I get it. He didn't hire Pierre. That was a sure. Eugene Melnick hire, but still, nonetheless, in, in Peter McTavish, in Troy Mann and Trent Mann. And I think those two are, are certainly, I mean, not just related. Yes. In the fact that they're brothers, but <laughs> related in terms of sure. the fact that one followed the other when you look at some of the stories that have been out there in recent weeks. So I don't think that's good for an organization. Uh, Either Pierre Dorian is not going to do that type of stuff anymore and gets back to being the guy that I remember that he was when he was scouting or working in the organization and whatever, um, or he's going to be gone. Like, and and maybe they make the move anyways. Right. But I wonder about the, the, that sometimes. There's just not going to be that same type of chaos in the upper parts of the organization that there's been. And again, I thought it was going to stop. Yep. And and in the end, maybe it was Pierre Maguire's fault. Maybe I and and I get Peter McTavish left on his own volition. Maybe that's all him. Maybe it's all Troy Mann and Trent Mann, but Look, I've the common I got to know both of those guys, and they they seem like pretty good people. Doesn't mean that they're going to have. Look, you're, you're going to have different philosophies on things, but to have that many people leave your organization, yeah, leads you to believe that okay, in the end, just like with Eugene Melnick, in the end, okay, Danny Heatley, Eugene Melnick, how many people took Melnick's side? Most. Yep. But then all of a sudden, here we are. Yep five to eight years later and, and maybe you revisit that and you think, well, maybe it wasn't on Danny Heatley. Yeah. And, and that's exactly the way I've started to think 
just in, in recent weeks. I didn't think that before, mm-hmm. but I started to think that way in recent weeks. And it's disappointing because I want Pierre to do well. Um, always been good to me personally. And I, I like a lot of what he's done for this organization. I, I like when you look at their top six forwards and their top four D, mm-hmm. I like what they've got. So this team should be a playoff team, but I do think having Ann Lauer here and, and maybe if, if whether Pierre's here or not, I feel like that's going to stabilize things because he's never had any kind of reputation of that going on in his organizations before. So that's just not going to fly under him. And so I feel like that is really important. Then I look at the coaching staff and that, that to me is the big question mark. We're going to, we're going to find out what DJ Smith is all about this year. And I'm, I'm still on the fence. I'm glad they brought him back. I am. Okay. Because I think when you look at the core when you look at Brady Kachuk and Tim Stutzla and like those guys absolutely would go through a wall for him and love playing for him. And I think that's important more, yeah, more yeah. than the X's and O's. You need your best players to buy into what you're selling and the best players in Ottawa buy in to DJ Smith. So I think that's important, but in the end it's put up or shut up time this year and they have to start better. Uh, coaches generally have, you know, some traits, even the best coaches have some traits that, go against them. Yep. Um, John Tortorella talked about passion and how it's his best trait, but it's also his worst trait. And so, for example, a guy like Guy Boucher, one of the most successful coaches in Ottawa Senators history, only three coaches have led Ottawa to 11 wins in a playoff. As Jacques Martin, Guy Boucher, and, and Brian Murray led him to 13. Right. So... Boucher has to be commended for that. But at the same time, you look at Tampa, you look at Switzerland, you look at Ottawa Senators, what's the common denominator for Guy Boucher? Great first season, not very good after that, short shelf life. And with DJ Smith, what we've seen, and I'm not even going to judge his first years for his first year, but the last three years, this team has started brutal, woefully out of the gate. So woeful starts better as the season progresses. So if they get a good start, or even an average start. If they start 10-9-1. and one, Sure. All right, 10-9-1, and one, you're hanging around. You expect they're going to get better. That That's how I feel. If you don't start well, you might have to make a coaching change early in the season. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think they're primed. You look at their schedule. It's not overly difficult early in the season, so it's not like it's murderer's row early right. in the season. But it wasn't Murderer's Row last year, and they started 6-12-1. So I, I think the one thing he's got, the one thing people tell me, because I talk a lot to a lot of people, and I talk to a lot of people in the game, and I always ask them their opinion, whether they live in Ottawa or you know they, they work for another organization, and just, what do you think of the Sens? And you get different opinions on DJ Smith, positive and negative, yep. but the people that are positive or bullish on DJ Smith say he's never had a top four defense at the start of the season. Well, now he does now. He, and in fact, I think like in order to make room, like I think Brandstrom is probably going to be moved that that's my opinion. Yeah. Just because Clevin's exactly what they want and need in terms of a third pairing, big defenseman that can skate, move the puck and play physical. And he looks like he's ready. So if Clevin's ready, 
well, you got your top four. You got Clevin. Bernard Docker's on a one way, and you've got Hamannick as well, who's a perfect six seven. So to me, Brandstrom is is expendable, and you can put that two million off the books. And I was a Brandstrom believer. I really thought he was gonna. Well, he's a decent. He's an NHL defenseman. Yeah, Yeah. But he's a tweener. Yeah. And if he's not providing big time offense, and he's not going to be a top four guy here, then. Move them along. Uh, especially if you've got three guys that can play, and I think Clevin, Bernard Docker, and, and Hamannick should be able to play, then you can move that money, hopefully move the Joseph money, sign Pinto, and maybe be able to get another depth forward uh, to to round out the roster. And then I, I think, okay, they look pretty good. But top six, top four, you know, they haven't had a, a defense like this in a long time when you look at Shabbat, Sanderson, Chikrin, and uh, Artem Zub. Yep. And... I feel like Sanderson's going to take a big jump this year. We'll see if Shabbat plays better. Uh, we'll see if Chickering can stay healthy. And if those things happen, I feel like this is a playoff team because I feel like if your defense is in order, New Jersey's a prime example. Why did they take a big jump? Yeah, Jack Hughes, and you can you can look at the skill players up front. They take a they took a big jump because over the last couple of years they prioritized the blue line, and I get a couple of those guys are gone, but they brought in Ryan Graves, yep. they they brought in John Marino, and they brought in Dougie Hamilton, and all of a sudden they went from two top four defensemen to five top four defensemen, and they're a playoff team. And now Ottawa feels got four top four defensemen, and I feel like they've got a pretty good top six. I don't love their bottom six. Right. That can be worked on. It's easier to work on your bottom course, six yeah. than it is to go out and get a defenseman of any caliber or a top six forward. So well, there's uh, some teams that are right for the picking, right? The Caps, the Pens, the Bruins, we'll see. Well, but, like, we'll see. I I, I don't know. I, I think... I think it's tough in the East. The I Isles, think I'm not I think on. they're going to be top 16 in the NHL, but top 16 in the NHL doesn't necessarily mean top That's 8 right. in the East because right. my belief is right or wrong, but my belief is the best teams in the NHL right now are in the West uh with Vegas, Edmonton, Colorado and even Dallas. I love Dallas the, the young mix. guys. Yeah. I love the young guys. Like it's okay. It's sad, Matt Duchesne. Ben, it's nothing. And... Ben might be on, on the way down, yeah. and Sagan might be on the way down, and and Pavelski might be a hundred years old and, and still producing. <laughs> but you know, it's it's Robertson. It's I mean, Hints is is more in his prime, but it's guys like Wyatt Johnston Wyatt, okay. and 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 players like that. Like uh, they they've got a a real good mix of youth and veterans. So to me, like that four. Like, that's four legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. In the East, to me, I've got a lot more question marks around the East, yeah. but it's way deeper. Like, I, I don't know who's going to be the eighth-place team. If you if you follow those four teams up with, say, the other teams that made the playoffs, Minnesota, Seattle, L.A., yeah. and then exclude Winnipeg, right? So then you got Winnipeg, Calgary, Vancouver, and all the other teams in the West, and it's like, I don't know who's going to finish eighth no. in the West, but but in the East, I think Buffalo's better. I think Ottawa's better. We'll see on Detroit. I'm still not sold I'm on not them. Sold on them I, I wouldn't be surprised if Pittsburgh has a bounce back here. Yeah. What happens with Tampa? What happens with Boston? What happens? I are the Panthers a Stanley Cup finalist yeah, or the team that yeah. just barely made the playoffs? Yeah. No. I that, that or, or even never mind that. Are they President's Trophy winning right. caliber yep. or a team that snuck into eighth? Right. So there there's. It's a lot of question marks in the East. Again, it's a deeper conference, but I, I think Ottawa, I, this feels like it has to be the year that the Senators take a jump. And if it doesn't, there's going to be major changes within the organization. Yeah. Well, and that often comes 
when new ownership comes in. I think it's a credit to him that he's taking his time here. I know he doesn't fully control the team yet anyway, but it does appear everybody's going to get a chance here to to be judged on their own merits under this new ownership group. I think that's the right way to play it. And I don't know what I think of DJ Smith, to be honest with you, other than him guiding my Oshawa Generals to a Memorial Cup championship. I got, <laughs> he I did got a great for that guy. He did a great job with that team, 2015. Yeah. That, that team, I remember watching them throughout the season and thinking, like, knowing that they were a really good hockey team because that's when I was calling 67's games and saw them eight times a year. Yeah. It did not look like, when you watched Erie, for example, with Connor McDavid, because that was the same year, mm-hmm. I, I just thought they didn't have the same type of upper end talent to get it done. And in the end, they did win it all. And that's a credit to the group that they built, but also the job that DJ Smith did. I, again, a lot of good things. I, and I think he's willing to learn. Yep. One of the things I love about the fact that we've had Dave Smart on every week is just getting a different perspective on DJ Smith from Dave and just how willing he is to take advice and how he doesn't have a bunch of yes men around <laughs> saying yes, yeah. Because if he did, then I'd probably have a little bit of a different perspective. But sure. I think he is willing to change. He is willing to try different things. And again, he's got the belief of the best players and that matters more it than goes anything. It a long way. Yeah. It do, it's Look, if they don't get results... In the end, they're going to have to make sure. a change. But the, the fact that he's... And your superstar vouching for you, you're in a good For spot. sure, yeah. for sure. And those guys lead in the best possible way. And so if you've got someone disgruntled with things, Brady Kachuk's not going to have any of it. It's going to be, you need to get on board with what we're doing because we're trying to win. We want to be in the playoffs. Yeah. And and when you've got that support in, in the room from your best players and your leaders... That goes a long, long ways, but they still have to start better because it's been dreadful uh, the last three years. Yeah. I wish them well, but not that well. Uh, it's sort of the the road I take down here sitting in this studio. is It's an interesting team to watch, right? They've had some young up-and-coming yeah. pieces, and, and we'll see, right? Like Especially if Norris is going to be healthy and get Pinto re-signed, like, it's a pretty impressive group up the middle, and now you've got Tarasenko, who I don't think is still a top line guy, but is he still a top six guy? Yeah, I think he probably is, right? Especially right now in a one-year deal with something to prove. I, I think there's a chance this forward group especially could be pretty impressive. I've I've said this for the last couple of years because I did some research on this and it wasn't the research that I, it wasn't really, it, it came down because I was doing a deep dive into the Air Coriel Chargers in the late 70s and 80s. Oh, sure, and as we all find ourselves doing from time so to time. So <laughs> I, I, they were leading the league in offense yeah. year after year after year. So I started to do, in the respective sports, teams that led their respective leagues in offense. Mm. And it's interesting, the conclusions that I found. I, I didn't really find a lot of Air Coriel Chargers that just constantly led and, and never won anything. I found a lot of teams and especially in hockey, that led the league in offense and then won after that. For example, the the Islanders in the late 70s were the best offensive team in the right. NHL, won four straight Stanley Cups in the 80s. Same with the early 80s Oilers. Same with Tampa Bay and Colorado recently. So you're and telling me as a Jays and Leafs fan, there's still reason for optimism. We've had well the team that led the league, teams, but we haven't won. So Florida led the league in offense the year they yeah. won the President's Trophy, and then True. got to the Stanley Cup Final with a team that 
kind of played a bit yeah. of a different way. True. Who led the league in offense last year? The Edmonton Oilers. Mm. And I feel like that team is close yes. to winning. So my point is, I feel like you score and then you win. You 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 learn how to score because mm. if you don't learn how to score, you that that's a hard thing Nothing to learn. Matters, yeah. After, that right. you, you can't just learn how to score. Right. You need the talent yes. to score. So you score, you fail, and then you regroup and you win. Washington Capitals, another prime example of that with all their failures before they finally won a Stanley Cup with a team that didn't score nearly as much as they did yeah. five, six, seven, eight years before they won a Cup. So back to the Ottawa Senators, and, and they haven't come close to leading the league in offense. But with this group, what I'd like to see this year is the Ottawa Senators score a pile of goals. And if they give up a pile but still make the playoffs, so be it, and fail in the playoffs, so be it. But if you follow that path of what we've seen in hockey over the course of the last 40 or 50 years, if you score, well, that means you've got a team talented enough to win. Then you just need to figure it out. So uh, to me, that's that's, that's what I'm going to be looking for this season. Okay. See, I like that. little. Uh, I, I didn't know anybody who Oh, I do a lot research. of stupid research when I'm bored. <laughs> See, I, I, I would have been sitting at home, my girlfriend's in Perth tonight. Okay. For, um, with her, her families from there. So she's spending five no- nights in Perth. So I would have been sitting at home with not a lot on television tonight. And, yeah. and you gave me the call. So I'm able to hang out with you and have a beer, which is great. But I probably would have been <laughs> digging into some useless stat, just going down a rabbit hole. Wondering that's what, that's what I tend to do on nights like Dallas this. Cowboys or something like that. Oh, yeah. Definitely not the, that's <laughs> another team I don't like. No, no doubt. I appreciate you coming in for the pint, AJ. I appreciate you making the time as always. I know it's busy during the summer and you got a lot going on, but uh, I'm always glad when you come in and, and do this for me. Thank yeah, you. my pleasure, Matt. And uh, We're yeah. going to set this up early in the fall. We'll get you and Rob in here at the same time. Okay, uh, we'll do a travel one. That'd be great. Sports yeah. travel. That'd be awesome. I got to figure out, so that's that's next on my list is to figure out, well, number one, figure out how to get more money. <laughs> Uh, after spending a ridiculous too, yeah. amount in the last year, yeah. going to Qatar and then Italy with my girlfriend. So, but I'm, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the next big trip is. So Copa America next year is a possibility, yeah. but Canada has to get there first. Sure, sure. And it's also in the middle of the CFL and Atletico Ottawa season. So I'm hoping for some well-placed bye weeks, for example, <laughs> where I can at least go for 10 days here and maybe four days there. But yeah, that's uh, Japan. Korea's high on my list right now, but uh, we'll we'll see. I want to see want to see baseball and soccer in both of those places. Baseball so, for sure for me. I, I'm a bigger baseball fan than soccer fan or whatever. And to to go to Japan and Korea, I, the thing that holds me back is I'm just a terrible flyer. But like, if you could sedate me and just put me under the plane to get me to Japan and Korea, <laughs> I would have a blast once I was there. I think I just, the idea of a 17 hour flight to anywhere is just off the table completely for me. Just the idea of the food, Korean and Japanese food. Yeah. So excited, but that's, uh, that might be a 2025 trip. So we'll see. Right. Uh, well, we'll get to that because Rob has traveled the world as much, almost as much as you have anyway, to, uh, for many sporting experiences. So we'll get the two E's in here together. Uh, you know, September, October, something like that. See how the CFL season's playing out and talk some sports travel. But uh, I appreciate you doing this one for me. Thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, my pleasure, Matt. 
We'll wind this one down here. That is AJ Jackubeck on the drive every afternoon on TSN 1200. And, of course, the voice of the Ottawa Red Blacks, Atletico Ottawa, and uh, just about anything else that needs a call around the city. Uh, We'll wind this up here. I think I've already said that. My name's Matt Robinson. We'll catch you next time. What the hell is that? Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Why are you so pissy?